This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best's Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Charles C.J. Haddock, Jr. C.J. is a shareholder of the Dickey, McCamey, and Chilcote PC law firm with offices in Pittsburgh and throughout the U.S. C.J. is the shareholder in charge of the firm's Harrisburg office. He practices in the areas of insurance coverage and insurance bad faith litigation, insurance fraud, arson, fire, and explosion cases, cybersecurity and cyber insurance coverage and litigation, professional liability including insurance agency errors and omissions, subrogation, and general liability defense. He is also the author and editor of the insurance blog, www.badfaithadvisor.com. And CJ, we're very pleased to have you with us again today. Thanks, John. Uh, Good to be here again, and good morning from central Pennsylvania. Thanks so much, CJ. Today's discussion will center on updates in insurance coverage and bad faith. And CJ, for our first question... Have you noticed any major trends in the insurance bad faith landscape over the last year or so? Uh, to be honest, uh, it's sort of steady as she goes uh, in, the, uh, in the bad faith area. I think um, what I see throughout the country in uh, going, going through cases uh, for, the, for the blog and for my practice is that the, bar, the bad faith bar continues to be set very high. It's, it's meant to be a high bar. And the opinions I see, the majority of the opinions seem to recognize that. And most cases, and it could just be that it's the the cases that are published, most cases, most bad faith cases are dismissed um, because the bad faith statutes and the whole concept of bad faith is not designed to punish insurers for negligence or bad decisions. It's intended to be sort of a special remedy uh, to provide the right of action to insurers only when... um, Advisors, or I'm sorry, bad faith insurance co- or insurance companies uh, act unreasonably uh, and without reasonable basis. And uh, we'll actually get it talk to uh, talk about a little bit later uh, a case that I a recent case that I think illustrates that. Does that answer long enough? <laughs> now that's perfect. So, uh, are there any bad faith decisions which stand out for you over the last year or so? Well, I'm going to be a little bit of a, uh, a homer here and, and uh, mention a case in, in particular. It seemed to create a little bit of buzz here in uh, Pennsylvania. The, the name of the case is uh, Rankowski versus Washington National Insurance. Um, it's a Supreme Court case here in Pennsylvania decided this year. Basically, uh, in that case, the, the court uh, took up the issue of whether or not an insurer's motive of uh, ill will uh, was a requirement of making out a bad faith case, uh, as opposed to just a factor to be considered. And so, while it was, con- uh, while th- the opinion was considered to be sort of a uh, an important one, uh, the, the way the case ended, uh, I don't know that it, it made a much of a, a change in, in Pennsylvania law. The court, the Supreme Court, said that uh, ill will or bad motive is not a requirement. Um, to be proved against insurers in the handling of claims, but that it was a factor to be considered. In, in Pennsylvania, and truthfully, in, in some form or another, John, um, the, the bad faith test, uh, the, the criteria for making out a bad faith case against an insurer is a, sort of a two-step process, the first of which is, did the insurer lack a reasonable basis for a claims decision? And number two, did the insurer know or re- 
basically disregard uh, the lack of a reasonable basis. And, and so ultimately, Rankowski said that two-step test is still the test. Uh, it's just that uh, and, uh, the insurer's motive of ill will um, wasn't a factor. It didn't have to be proved as an element, but certainly could be considered in the process. And so I guess if you want to uh, ask whether there are any significant uh, bad faith decisions, at least in, uh, in my practice, Rankowski sort of came down this year as one of those one of those rulings. Okay, CJ, have there been any significant developments in insurance coverage decisions? Well, I think actually one of the things that I saw come out uh, this year were some coverage suits over the opioid, uh, opioid crisis uh, and the opioid uh, epidemic. Um, there is a case in particular, it's not the only case, but uh, a case I believe uh, California Appeals Court uh, Travelers versus Actavis, A-C-T-A-V-I-S. Uh, it was decided, I think, in November. Uh, it's a case where um, a, an opioid manufacturer sought coverage from its insurer, C- its uh, CGL insurer, uh, Travelers, uh, for a suit against the manufacturer about intentionally uh, misrepresenting or over-marketing uh, opioid drugs. And... Um, it sought, uh, it kind of sought coverage for the, the suit, defense and indemnity, and travelers declined. The court actually found in favor of travelers, saying that the, these kinds of suits um, don't allege accidental uh, conduct of any kind. They allege it, sort of an intentional and deceptive pattern and practice on the part of the manufacturers to oversell and encourage the overprescription of these drugs. And so the court said, this is not this is not an accident. This is not the kind of fortuitous event an insurance policy uh, is designed to cover. They also ruled that uh, the policy, the liability policy that Actavis had, also had an exclusion for completed operations. Uh, but I think in the opioid suits, one of the key things uh, that you're going to see is uh, what are the specific allegations against the uh, the opioid manufacturer in the underlying case. Uh, if they continue to be sort of this intentional conduct, there's not going to be coverage uh, uh, for them. If, however, you get into you start to see suits against uh, uh, drug companies for negligence or uh, something in that vein, then I think the coverage case could come down differently. Certainly, it would be a, I think, a much harder decision or ruling. But I think, uh, sort of along with the opioid crisis. Uh, I think you're going to see some coverage litigation with respect to some of the emerging suits, not just by state attorney generals, but by private plaintiffs. Now, have there been any industry-wide changes which have impacted how insurers defend themselves and and litigate bad faith and coverage cases? Well, in this this question, you you may know as much or more about uh, about it than I do. Uh, I have noticed uh, the industry, the insurance industry is changing. And really all of business is changing. It's a much more competitive environment and marketplace. And um, insurance companies, like any other competitor in a business marketplace, they want more bang for their buck. And one of the places they're looking for that value is with outside attorneys. And so I think insurers are, uh, I don't know that I, I would say that they're defending cases differently. I would just say that the business landscape now is one where law firms and outside lawyers 
can't just be lawyers. They need to be business advisors to the insurance companies and provide some sort of value. Uh, and one of the things we like to do is provide that value in terms of consultation before the bad faith case is filed. We'd rather advise a client to avoid having a suit filed um, than have to defend the client uh, after a suit is filed. Sometimes we can uh, do more uh, before the case is filed while the claim is actually being handled, uh, and so we do provide that service. But insurers, uh, I think they're still uh, uh, defending themselves in the right cases, and I just think that uh, they're looking for efficiencies in the marketplace. Uh, intelligence, artificial intelligence, technology, uh, those things are all making um, measuring efficiency better, and um, outside law firms are not immune, certainly not immune, uh, to having to stay up to speed uh, so they can provide their clients, including insurance companies, efficiencies uh, in addition to good, solid legal advice. CJ, any predictions for the insurance coverage and bad faith landscapes for 2018? Actually, as I was trying to answer that, uh, preparing to answer that question, uh, I came across something I thought uh, was of interest. Uh, and it's a separate, sort of a separate thing on the horizon uh, from the opioid issue, but uh, I read an article, um, I would say within the last month, that described an insurance company by the name of Lemonade. And it's a tiny startup insurance company that writes mostly uh, tenant policies, but uh, the claims process uh, with this company is almost completely automated. It means that robots and algorithms are actually deciding claims. And uh, the, the, the reason it caught my eye was that there was a, um, a small theft claim for a parka, and the insured uh, completely submitted the claim on an app on his telephone, and within 30 seconds to a minute, uh, the claim has, had been run through these algorithms, and the claim had been paid, and the claim was closed. And so just from uh, the insured's telephone, a claim was made and closed within a matter of minutes, and that's and that was done because no human being ever looked at it. Uh, it was all artificial intelligence. Uh, super interesting uh, idea, and I think it, you know if uh, looking ahead, I'm wondering how that is going to uh, be handled, especially when it gets to bad faith cases or coverage disputes. Um, you know, insurance. Uh, the insurance industry has always had software uh, as tools, uh, claims valuation uh, programs and things of that nature, but it has never gone fully automated as I, uh, uh, as it was in this example that I read. And so I think one of the things that uh, could be interesting going forward is uh, uh, take, for example, a bad faith case against the insurance company, but where all of the decisions were made by artificial intelligence. Um, that could be a challenge to defend to a judge and jury who are not artificially intelligent, but who are humanly intelligent. Uh, and so my suggestion would be that uh, I'm not sure that ever you're ever going to get to a point in the claims process where machines can do what humans do. And as long as humans make decisions about insurance coverage and, and unfortunately, bad faith, I think humans need to be involved in the claims process in some way. So... Um, I guess that's a little bit of a speech on the human element, uh, John. I didn't mean to turn into a uh, a uh, professor there. <laughs> well, actually, the timing is good with everything happening in claims and data analytics and everything. So, yes. Yeah, it's it's, it's truly going to be something that uh, 
you're, you're going to stumble into one day or another where a claims decision has been made almost entirely or entirely by artificial intelligence. And how do you explain that process if you have to defend, uh, you know, a bad faith uh, claim? It, it, it's uh, I've not run into it yet, but I certainly could uh, contemplate it in uh, in the future. CJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. That was Charles C.J. Haddock, Jr., a shareholder of the Dickey, McCamey, and Chilco PC law firm with offices in Pittsburgh and throughout the U.S., and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Volwinkle. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage at www.ambest.com slash claims resource. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast at ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AMBest, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.